When you have a chronic illness, there's a lot of times where you have to be still and you can't do a lot. But as hard as that can be for those of us that are chronically ill, you know, why does God tell us to be still? Why does he tell able-bodied people to be still? What does he say about who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do? Well, as a recovering perfectionist, I definitely have to say learning how to stop striving was really hard, but it changed my life. So let's jump into the word right now. Hey friends, I'm Cassie, and I'm a married Spoonie who lives the chronic illness life. Here each week, I'll challenge you to live intentionally and authentically, where every spoon you use has a purpose and every step you take matters. Welcome to Chronically Cultivating. Being still is so hard. I'm someone that likes to be going all the time. At least I used to be that way. I was someone that never sat still and was always on the move. I mean, You and I have talked about what my schedule used to be like. It was jam-packed and crazy. There was no time for stillness. So as I've gotten older, I'm starting to learn the art of being still and appreciating quiet time and just, I guess, space to breathe. And my mentor has really been working to instill in me that I need to be still. And I originally was like, but I am so still. I'm on the couch all the time. And she was like, no, no, no. I want you to focus on your heart being still. And that brought us to Psalm 4610. So the one of the translation, translation, sorry, says, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Another translation says, Attention all, see the marvels of God. He plants flowers and trees all over the earth, bans war from pole to pole, breaks all the weapons across his knee. Step out of traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your God, above politics, above everything. And then this translation just makes everything stop. It says, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So I think as women and just as people in general, whether you're chronically ill or not, we don't do well with being still. So I look at these translations and the one that says step out of traffic, in my mind, that is telling me to go to a quiet place. When it talks about letting go, it means forgetting about the past. When they say relax, it means let your mind stop running. And when they say cease striving, God means 
stop. We are reminded here by God that we cannot do it all and do it well. We tend to let what I call ants run our thoughts. You may have heard of ants, which are automatic negative thoughts. These ants tend to creep into my heart and mind whenever I cannot complete a goal that I set for myself, especially when it's due to the unpredictable life that living with a chronic illness brings. And I struggle so heavily and really beat myself down when I can't complete a goal on time. And I'm always infuriated when I can't complete a goal solely because my body wasn't able to do what I needed it to do. And as I've started studying this idea of being still, I've really learned that our thoughts have so much power over our hearts. And, you know, what I think was something really interesting that Jared started doing about maybe a year ago, I know it was after we got married. And I would say something negative about myself, whether it was about my appearance or my value or my ability to contribute or whatever the case may be. And he would actually stop me and say, hey, don't talk to my wife like that. And at first when he said it, I was just like, "Mm -hmm, whatever, brushed it off. But he didn't stop. Every single time that I would start to talk myself down or anything of that nature, he would again say, hey, don't talk to my wife like that or don't talk about my wife like that. And he says that because he always reminds me after my wife is better than that. And my wife is and then he counteracts whatever I had said. And isn't it so true, though? We let these automatic negative thoughts run our minds and hearts almost subconsciously. And, you know, with Jared interjecting, he wanted to help me break that cycle without even talking to me about it because he he was very offended by it because he was like, why would I have married you if... I thought that you weren't beautiful, or if I thought that you weren't capable, or I thought that you aren't stable, like whatever, whatever it was. And it just, it really made me realize, you know, that I'm subconsciously talking myself down all the time. And even if my body is still, my mind is certainly not still. I constantly say I'm working on being a recovering perfectionist because when I was diagnosed and life just changed over time, I learned that sometimes I need to just be okay with getting the job done, even if it's not done perfectly. So I've kind of coined the the phrase recovering perfectionist because it's kind of what I've been doing. And when I... I'm on my own and I say something negative about myself or to myself, 
now that Jared has gotten it in my head after so, 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 so many times of being, you know, called out about it, I stop myself. And I also try to think of it as if I wouldn't say whatever I'm saying to myself to my best friend, then I really should not be saying it to myself. I mean, there are studies that when you talk kindly to plants, they actually grow better. Imagine how much stronger we would grow if we talked kinder to ourselves. And if we're going to really break it down, we have two main types of ants, the automatic negative thoughts, that creep into our minds. And those are distortional and destructive. So the distortional thoughts are the irrational, overgeneralized, based on lies, and they are thoughts that dwell on the past. They're made up of, you know, all the fortunes, the what if, the mind reading, you know, assuming what somebody else is thinking without asking them, coming to conclusions without facts. I'm so guilty of that. Or, you know, going to the worst case scenario. When we dwell on the past, God stops us. And he says in Isaiah 43, 18, 19, forget the former things. And literally tells us, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. There's so much power in that. See, I am doing a new thing. God is always moving. Something is always growing. But we're not going to be able to see what's growing if we're only focused on what didn't grow in the past. Now, the second type of thinking that we can fall into are destructive thoughts. So the destructive thoughts are full of fear and anxiety and worry. Now, I used to think that fear, anxiety, and worry were the exact same thing. But they're actually not. So I started diving in deeper. And these three areas work together all the time. But I, I want to talk about what God says about each one. So fear. The definition of fear from Google is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Now, we experience the painful emotion of fear when we think about what can happen or what currently is happening. And by dwelling on all the possibilities, but typically more so the hindrances that are in front of us. But here's what God says about fear. In Deuteronomy 31, 6, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. I love that he points out that he will personally go ahead of you. Something that I do when I'm praying is I typically thank God for tomorrow. And I was once asked why I thank him 
for tomorrow because I don't even know if anything good is going to happen tomorrow. And what I've come to say and believe truly in my heart is that I know that tomorrow is going to be an okay day because he has already gone through it. He has already planned it. He has already walked ahead of me and he has already prepared my heart for everything that I'm going to face. So remember that when you are fearful, God will personally go ahead of you and he will neither fail you nor abandon you. So that's fear. Let's talk about anxiety. The Google definition is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And we typically experience anxiety when we do not feel strong enough to face a situation on our own. I know there's so much anxiety that comes with having a chronic illness and dealing with medical PTSD and all of those things. There's anxiety before appointments and different, because, you know, we we don't feel strong enough to face it on our own. We don't want to do it. It's hard. But the good news is that we don't need to walk through life's hardships alone because God is with us. And that's so amazing. And what God says about anxiety is that we do not need to be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understandings will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And what I love is that by prayer and petition, meaning that we aren't just asking for something and then just letting it slide. We are going to him persistently and saying, all right, God, I need your strength. So every single time that anxiety pops up, meet it with the truth, meet it with that prayer. And, you know, I love that it also points out with Thanksgiving, like I was saying, praying for my day ahead. I thank him in advance because I know that he's there. And he says that he will guard our hearts and minds. And then there's worry. And the definition Google gives us is give way to anxiety or unease. Allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. We typically experience worry when we try to control a situation that is out of our hands. And that probably happens more often than all of us would like to admit. And, you know, worry is different than fear and anxiety because fear is when we're thinking about what can happen or what is happening. Typically more so what is happening that is making us fearful. Anxiety, as we talked about, is when we don't feel strong enough to face a situation on our own. But worrying is when we know we can't fully control the situation and we're stuck with this unease that 
we're not going to be able to fully keep everything in our hands. But here is what God says about worrying. And it's so, God is just so cool. I don't know if you all can hear it on this recording, but there are just these birds that are chirping outside my window right now so beautifully. And this is just so perfect that they started at this moment because the verse has to do with them. So in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, it says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is, not li- or is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Oh my goodness. All the hearts, all of the praise hands right here, right? These destructive thoughts, whether they're fear or anxiety or worry, they come in all sorts of different ways. They can come between being discontent, grumbling and complaining, insecurities, guilt, bitterness, impatience, self-pity, regret, jealousy, and most of all those things stem from fear, anxiety, and worry. But this is where the verse we talked about in the beginning, Psalm 4610, comes back into play. When we worry, we are trying to control, but we need to stop striving and let God carry out his will. Now, this is not easy by any means, and it requires such great faith. But God is big enough to take our emotions, every single one of them. I happen to believe that when I am grieving or angry and just dealing with any big emotion, I actually find myself so much closer to God because he is present in all of those things. He is not just there for all the good. He is there for everything. And, you know, Satan loves it when we dwell in the past or we fret about the future. But God wants us to live and love in the present. And what is so great about Jesus is that he is a guilt-free zone. 
and he forgives our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so if we say, well, we don't want to be someone who worries. God doesn't want us to be a worrier or anxious or fearful. Well, then what are we? Who does he say we are? If we are not warriors and we are not fearful, we are not jealous, we are not discontent, well, what does he say we are? Because he's he tells us about what he doesn't want us to be. And sometimes we fixate on that and we don't focus on who he has called us to be and the truths about who he says we are. So over the past, I think, three months, I've been really devoting time to declaring truth in my time with God. And I know I've talked with you a bit about this before, but I want to remind you again about the truths about who God says you are. And he says that you are a new creation. He says that you are chosen. He says that you are bold and strong and generous and embraced. He says that we are a light. He says that we are covered in grace. He says that we are special, that we are guided, that we are someone that he delights in. How beautiful is that to know that he delights in us? And he also, he says so much more. Like I, there are so many things to choose from. He says that he will take care of all my troubles He says that we are protected. He says that he is enough for us. He says that we are going to be free of trouble when we are with him. He says that we are blessed, that we are providers. I think I said this already, but he says we are strong because of him. And there are so many. I'm literally looking at this page that are filled with at least a hundred different reasons. And I'm, I stumble because I just sit here so in awe of everything that he says that we are. For all the things that he doesn't want us to be in tenfolds. He tells us all the things that we are when we're in him. And when we go back to thinking about being still and to stop striving and to let go of perfection, that may go against everything that you believe. And I also want to make sure you know that there he does still want us to be diligent. There is a time for us to be striving to reach the goals that he's given us and the dreams that he's planted in our hearts. All of those things are important. There's a time and a place for everything. But what he wants us to know is that we sometimes need to stop doing everything. And like 
one of those translations said, step out of the traffic. Step out of the busyness of life and your to-do list and your goals and your responsibilities and focus on me. Focus on who I am. Focus on who I say that you are. Those are things that are so important to him. And it's all about balance. You know, too much of anything is bad. So we need to balance that for as much as we're striving, we need to be still in him. And it's not a perfect process. It's not easy. And we are all going to fail at it time and time again. But what's so amazing is that he continues to love us and gives us more chances and opportunities to do the right thing. And um, I read a quote the other day. I'm trying to think of it right now. Um, Oh man, let me see. It had to do with our thoughts and it has really just struck my heart strongly. Um, I'm pulling it up right now. Okay, here is what it says. It says, your mind is a garden. Your thoughts are the seeds. You can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. And so everything that we think about in our mind, because remember, being still does not just mean physically. It's also a mental thing. We need to be still mentally. We are responsible for our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes. So when we own up to that, and we remember that, and we also remember that we are covered in God's grace, his unrelenting, amazing grace, we will find peace as we stop striving and we be still. So whether you have to be still because your body's put you in that situation or you're just actively trying to be still in him, I encourage you to work on this. Cultivate it daily. Own up to the mistakes and the failures and keep going. And above all things, remember that he is God and he is good. And we can be still in him no matter what the situation holds. The Oregon College Savings Plan can help you support your kid's future career as a teacher. A airplane driver? Um, no, their career as a hairstyle designer. As a dinosaur doctor? Oh, their future job as a windmill builder. No, an ice cream taster. You know what? We just don't know what they want to be yet. But while they figure it out and dream big, we're here to help you save for what comes next, whatever that may be. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com. Where you live shouldn't limit your access to quality internet. That's not fair. U.S. Cellular introduces fast and fair high-speed internet. With reliable home internet from U.S. Cellular, now there's no limit to how you stream, game, and work. So instead of this, you get this. Just 
Upgrade to fast and fair high-speed internet from U.S. Cellular. Upgrade to fair.